You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horrors 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Not wasting any time this week. Looking back at an overtime win over Kansas State and ahead. It's the purple kryptonite swing of the regular season slate because Texas goes to Fort Worth to play TCU. The last time for a long time on Saturday night, and we'll talk about it here on this week's edition of Longhorn Blitz. Let me bring in the rest of the team that will be alongside me, as always, for this adventure. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm doing tremendous. And the third member of our team, he wears many hats, but for the purpose purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American unrecognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. I appreciate the intro, as always. I know we got a lot to get into with the uh, the Purple Kryptonite, so uh, let's get right to it. Indeed. Let's get down to it. Well, actually, Rod, before we get into that, just a couple quick housekeeping items. Again, get this podcast each and every week. Yes. Any Anywhere you get your podcasts, just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Just click that follow button when you see the feed. You'll get the Longhorn Blitz podcast whenever it drops every Wednesday morning. It'll drop on your favorite podcast app. You can also get it just at Horns247.com. And if you're interested in advertising and being a sponsor of the Longhorn Blitz podcast, LonghornBlitzPod at gmail.com. LonghornBlitzPod at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of us. All right, let's go ahead and get into it. A 33-30 win over K-State, an overtime win. Uh, Guys, this kind of felt like, uh, you know, the Sark era in a nutshell, right? Like, you know, we see Texas on two different occasions get out to big leads, and then, you know, they got to hold on. But it, it wasn't, you know anything necessarily that Sark did wrong we'll get to some of the you know some of those questionable decisions I'm sure here in a minute but I mean if not for turnovers this game is a blowout and it's over long before the actual outcome was decided in this one uh but you know Texas again beats a top 25 team at home with his backup quarterback uh picks up another win CFP rankings will come out tonight so by the time everybody gets this CFP rankings will be out I'm expecting Texas to probably once again be at number seven I don't see them moving up and it's hard to envision them moving down uh Rod I guess I'll start with you your your big takeaway from this game was what that was mine that you know Texas even though it was an overtime win it came down to the last play if not for the turnovers this one would have been put away much much earlier 
Yeah, I totally agree, right? Turnovers are the great equalizer. Uh, that's why the football, it's a, it, probably the most unforgivable of sins by the football gods. You'll be punished mm -hmm. for it. So you, you see how Texas dominated that game. Should have been a blowout. They were up by, you know, 20 points at one point. Uh, but you keep turning over the football in, in many different ways, right? We, we know there are traditional takeaways, of course, uh, or giveaways where the quarterback makes a mistake or somebody fumbles. But then you can say what you want, but turnover on downs, you know, going for it on fourth down and failing, um, that has the same effect. And, you know, technically it is called a turnover on downs. And then punt block, right? A punt block also has the same effect giving a ton of momentum and juice and hope and life to the opposing side, uh, but also snatching that momentum from your team and giving them favor favorable field position, um, giving them a short field, and, and and also taking away points literally off the board for you mm -hmm. in some of those instances as well. So that's why turnovers are so crucial. Um, and in this game, you basically saw it. I mean, that's Texas is up 17 points. And then right, you see the first interception by Malik. Uh, and then they have the turnover on downs, the Savion red play where the bot snap, fumble, whatever it was, they recovered. And then after that, you get the uh, uh, the block punt. Yeah. Right. Uh, I believe it's the, uh, the, you know, block punt right after that. So you got three in a row and people wonder like, man, how does 17 point lead for Texas? You know, how did it turn into a dog fight at the end of the game? Well, the reason it could have been a blowout right there, but Texas had basically three drives where they turned the football over three times in a row. And K-State really didn't take advantage of it until the last, you know, block after that block punt. Then they scored a touchdown, make it 17-7 right before the half. And everybody goes, damn, this game was on the verge of being a blowout. And now looks like with K-State getting the ball back out of the second half that it could be a dogfight. So there are reasons for that. It's not all on – it's not all, you know, Sark's – you know, fault or Malik's fault. I mean, trust me, that was, that's a lot of blame to go around there, but in a sense, you know, complimentary football, but also complimentary failure and, and mm -hmm. collapse there is also why K-State was in that game. Those three drives, you, you can turn the ball over one time, it's fine, but you can recover the next drive. But essentially that's three turnovers in a row, taking points off the board, giving favorable field position to K-State, even though your defense dominated them, your defense dominated K-State. Fewest rushing yards for a K-State offense since 2014. I mean, it was a dominant performance. You put them in compromising positions by giving uh, the opposing team short fields, and ultimately K-State was able, they're too good of a team for you to give them too many, you know, easy short fields and them not take advantage of it. They finally did, and it became a game. Yep, and that was where, like, it, it, say if it was a Longhorn team of a decade ago, these were the type of games that you would see Texas lose and we, that we have talked about for so long where Texas can be the better team on most of the plays, but then you make a few mistakes and then the other team has a couple opportunistic scenarios that they take advantage of and a game that you feel like you should be comfortably ahead now is way closer and you tighten up and then you end up falling apart, but Texas – was able to at least sustain through, like you said, Rod, in some of those scenarios. And, I mean, I believe it wasn't until after the punt. Once it got blocked, that was the first time K-State got into Texas territory. That's how dominant yeah. the Texas defense was. Was They didn't allow anybody across the 50-yard line. It's crazy. And then, like, when I was watching the TV copy, and it was great remark by Gus Johnson that just opposed the question to Joel Klatt. He's like, Texas was dominating. Now Kansas State's moving the ball. What's happened? And Joel Klatt was, 
Well, they quit running the ball on first down. They just finally bought into what? What? Why are we running into this brick wall and setting ourselves back a couple downs where we're in obvious passing situations and allowing the defense to pin their ears back? So they started out just coming out, understanding what they were facing in the second half, and we're actually able to move the ball a bit. So it's good to see Texas be able to sustain through those mistakes, like you said, because like the block punt was a little bit of a tide turner. But then when you saw the uh, turnovers maybe start to pile up and then you get a little bit shaky of a feeling but it was good to see when you needed to make a play the defense made plays and the offense did enough yeah uh, i listened to chris Kleiman's post-game press conference and, and like we've heard a lot of coaches this year really complimentary of texas interior d lineman and he was straight up honest about it he's like they were really hard to move we couldn't move them uh, when they slanted and got penetration we couldn't do much of anything either he said they tried to get the run game going and just couldn't they were really frustrated with it but you know, Rod, to your point about dominating, man, K-State only had really one sustained drive the entire game. I mean, that was after it was 27-7. Uh, they get that drive. It's like an eight-play, 75-yard drive. I think that's what it was. That was it of their other – so that was that was one of their five scoring drives. Of the other four, three of them started in plus territory, and the one that didn't was the one, their last drive in regulation, where they started on the minus 40 and ended up kicking the field goal. So that defense, Rod, you can speak to this as, as a defender. It, it is tough to play a sudden change possession, period, in oh, a yeah. game. But, yeah. man, between special teams and, and the offense turning – between you know, special teams giving them favorable field position and the offense turning the ball over, man, when you've got like three or four sudden changes, it's, it's really tough to expect a defense to just stand up, stand tall, and just stop all of those, especially when you're you're facing a team like K-State. That's not a great K-State team. That's not a bad K-State team either. No, it's not at all. I mean, it came into that game as the fifth best rushing team in the country. Yeah. They they had two had a duo dual-threat quarterbacks, which we all know. We talked about it at nauseum as football theorists. That's one of the cheat codes in football for any defense, and yet – neither one of those dual threat quarterbacks could be weaponized against Texas. Texas shut that down. They, they were an explosive rushing offense too. They came into that game um, having the most uh, 10 plus rushing yards of any team in the power five second in college football. And they could do nothing. guys. They abandoned that running game mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. what middle of the second quarter, definitely by, uh, you know, middle of the third quarter, they had abandoned the yeah. running game and decided, all right, you know what? We're just going to throw it and good for them. Because the argument could be made that if K-State had done two things differently in this game, well, actually, my, 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 the argument might be made three, three things differently, that they probably can pull off the upset. If they hadn't played press man coverage early on in the game against Texas, <laughs> yeah. right? right? Yeah. Like that, that probably was a miscalculation. All right. They play, yeah. You talked about it, Matt. They play a lot of man. I was surprised to see them come up and play press man sometimes against Texas, but they play a lot of man and Texas was able to exploit them playing man coverage against them early on. Um, so maybe probably shouldn't have came in playing man. Maybe it's something a little less aggressive. And also if they came in breaking tendency and been passed first, the only way to beat Texas, hey, Byron Murphy, they, you know, Chip Brown, your boy Chip, uh, everybody knows my man Chip Brown's always uh, digging deep and asking great questions. He asked Byron Murphy, you know, what was the kind of statement that this performance uh, made to the nation? You know, that you just, you know, obviously shut down the K-State run defense. What was the statement to the nation? He said, you're not going to run on Texas. Like, you don't run on us. 
All right. Find some other way. All right. Mm-hmm. Test that secondary. You ain't testing us. Uh, I love that. That's their identity defensively. And he's right. I mean, they Bama probably ran, you know, for the first quarter, maybe on them and uh, maybe the non-traditional running game by Oklahoma with the yep. quarterback draw and the scrambles and, the, you know, jet sweeps. But, man, if you will just hand off the football against Texas, that is a fool's errand. It's just not going to work. The way to beat Texas is to throw the football. Be pass first. All the pass first offenses have taken Texas to the wire. It took U of H, took a, a game winning goal line stand. Oklahoma held damn near a game winning goal line stand mm-hmm. and couldn't get it done. And, in, you know, if, if you go argue if K State had come in pass first, when they started throwing the football, they made some plays. <laughs> they yeah. made no plays down the field. That's the concern going against TCU. Texas is a much better team than TCU, of course, more talented, but they are pass first. Uh, they do run the view and shoot, which is the offense that has beat Texas only once this year. It's the only offense that beat them. And that was the Art Browse offense. That's, you know, obviously Jeff Levy is the OC there, but there's a family connection with Kendall Browse as the OC at TCU. So there is that. And their pass first. Pass first gives Texas problems. And I think K State, if you would argue they came in and did that, that maybe they had a better chance breaking tendency. Um, and also, Chris Kleiman going for it on fourth down, not having a money play. When you go for it on fourth down, nothing wrong with that going for it on fourth down. I asked every K-State fan that I saw what they thought of it. They all hated it. Um, (laughs) You got to have a money play, guys. You know that. You got to have a play that you know. All right, I know it. It's going to work. It's money, baby. Let's do it. Um, When Dana Hogson said he was going to go for it and go for the two-point conversion if they uh, got a touchdown against Texas, I guarantee he had a money play ready to go. Um, he yeah. had one in that West Virginia game where they where they beat Texas. He had a money play. Mm-hmm. He, you're a great offense. Sarks got him. You got and they don't always work, but he that all they had was a simple switch route. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. That's not a money play at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's you know what I mean. So I I think Chris Clyburn probably regrets that. He probably you know regrets going well, forward because he didn't he didn't really put himself in a good position there. Well, can I can I speak on that real quick, Rod? Before yeah. you expand again, going back to his post game press conference, and again, this is. I like the post game because, you know, you get coaches in the heat of the moment and they're probably more likely to tell you the truth in the heat of the moment. Uh-huh. Kleiman said there was no doubt in his mind. He said, I was not interested in continuing that game. He said, if we, if, you know, if we had a, he said, if we scored a touchdown, if, if, if we were having to trade touchdowns, we were going to go for two. In other words, he was not, he was going to try to end it in the first overtime and he put it on Colin Klein to come up with a play and Kleiman said he asked him several times like are you sure is this the play and he said Colin Klein's feedback was like yeah I like it I like it let's run it and wow he said he wow. didn't regret the decision which tells me he probably if he had to go back and do it again he'd still go for it he'd just make sure to tell Colin Klein dude pick a play that you have a better idea is going to work than something that you know you don't need to you don't need to like it you need to love it this needs to be your play yeah, because apparently they were looking at Ryan Watts mm-hmm. and yep. that matchup on that switch route uh, with Ryan Watts playing the bump and run corner. Will Howard, you know, he essentially implied that because Ryan Watts was playing press, that was his indicator. It was man coverage mm-hmm. and that they would not switch it. Basically, they wouldn't play what we call tango my day. One DB play, one defender take the outside cut, one defender take the inside cut when you have receivers that are obviously very in a compressed set that are really closely clustered together. Um, and that's exactly what they ended up doing. He, except he did it from a press alignment, which, by the way, guys, I've said it on this show. He's done that before. It's not like he he's he, it's the first time he's ever done that. 
that's not that's not him disguising something new. He's he's done that before from the press alignment where he'll slough off and drop back and play zone coverage. Um, because I've watched it and I've documented yeah. it. So I don't know why Colin, I don't know why Colin Klein would have thought, all right, this is my guaranteed indicator they're in man coverage. It it isn't always a guaranteed indicator, especially when and you should know, I mean, I think anybody knows this when you have receivers that are close together, DBs often tango it. And they, yeah, so for you, sure. You have, you have what they call a tango beater, right? You yeah. know what I mean? And they, they, that wasn't, I don't know if that was a tango beater. So I don't know. I thought, I, I thought it probably, I thought they would try to push Texas to a different overtime. They didn't. I'm glad they didn't. And I'm glad they didn't have a great play call. Tech and give props to Ryan Watts because he had a game where he gave up some plays, uh, but that was a great disguise and great, a great way to be assignment sound when it counted the most for a game winning goal line stand. And in the post-game press conference right after the game, Sark, I believe that was when he totally addressed the exact play and even said that Ryan Watts, you know, sort of gave him that dummy front. Like, he wanted it to look as if he was playing, man, but you can see him look over to Jaron Thompson and communicate, and you can see them signal to one another that they're playing, like acknowledging one each, each other that they're on the same page but he made it appear as if he was playing man. So I think he was reading the indicators and Watts did a good job of indicating as if he was playing man by the way that he was setting up with his feet and then still being on the same page and being aligned with Jaron Thompson that they were going to be in that little buddy coverage. Yeah, so here's the quote. I'm trying to find the quote. Here it is. Uh, this was Sark in the Monday press conference talking about it. Monday, He's, okay. Yeah, he said on the final play of the game, it was excellent. There was an excellent disguise by Ryan Watts. His alignment, stance, body language all look like he's playing man coverage. But then there's a subtle communication with Jaron Thompson to say of 34, which is the tight end, goes inside. He's yours. I'm going to take the first man out. And then the same thing happened where Howard raises up to to throw and Ryan is taking the tight end. Ryan is taking the tight end away. Uh, Murphy and Sorrell have great rushes and the game is over. Playing team defense ties everything together. Yep. yep. Front end and back end. No, it was a great. It's like they were sound and sound. Except it was a pretty simple concept to defend. I say that, but then in the Oklahoma game, it was also a simple concept. Texas busted the coverage, and Oklahoma scored a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So saying, saying is simple and executing different things, and they executed it really well there. So give Texas a lot of props. And honestly, the defense. I mean, that they, they are the real MVP of that game. I mean, the defense pretty much was the reason it should have been a blowout, and also the reason you end up winning the game. Yeah, Rod, I, I just want to get your take on, on coverage, though, because, you know, Will Howard throws for 300-some-odd yards. Uh, I tend to think it's more of – and I just – I didn't see any uh, anything egregious on the back end just in terms of, you know, blown coverages. I, I think I, – I want to say the Jace Brown touchdown that would have been the go-ahead touchdown had they not botched the extra point. Uh, I haven't gotten that far in my rewatch yet. Was that just a coverage uh, uh, quarters beater as far as you could tell? It just looked like, yeah, that basically, because that was Brooks, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. The mm. um, yeah, he, he, basically he expected help. I think he expected to pass off that that post route, and yeah. nobody was – this sort of miscommunication. Remember we talked about they got to be hive-minded. If you're going to play match coverage, and match coverage essentially, um, you match man at one point once the route – declares itself or the route uh, combinations declare themselves. So that means the safety and he aren't on the same page. The safety probably assumed, hey, man, I'm taking number two because the number two has already declared that he's my man, so I'm going to match him. Uh, And if that's the case, then 
obviously Brooks needs to be matching number one on the outside. That was not the case because he was not out aggressively on the upfield shoulder there. Um, yeah, and that's so. where in those quarters, I know that just watching coincidentally the Manning cast last night and Peyton was really talking about the routes that you run to beat quarters coverage because like you said there like something like a post where you can actually get further inside because if you're throwing it up the seam you're still going to have that guy there on the seam but once you get to the part where you're going to make them either like you said match it or then you fully commit across to the fourth or the third quadrant that's whenever you can get that just trying to force that communication make the defense have the successful transfer each time all the way across the different zones. Yeah. And I think that the key to that technique wise is to have the full vision of triangulating one, two and the quarterback, which you must do if you're playing quarters or even you're playing thirds there. Uh, and you're looking at number two, cause you might end up covering number two. If you, you guys have to switch. There are two things. Number one, you got to be on the upfield shoulder just in case you have to recover and, you know, you see your safety take number two and maybe you thought you were passing it off. You stay on the upfield shoulder until number two comes into your zone or threatens you. And I think I think Terrence Brooks was in decent position, but it, it seemed like he relaxed instead of just sprinting to stay on the upfield shoulder. And number number two, man, they have to start talking about I'm talking about prior to all this in um, in their meetings. Man, what route depth is the declaration for you? Like, is it mm-hmm. 10? Is it 12 yards? Like, when a guy gets 12 yards, then all zone is off. We're matching. You know what I mean? When the guy gets to 10 yards, all of it's off. We're matching. Sometimes it can depend on the the, the team you're playing that week, but they got to figure that out because it we've had too many of those. And I know there are natural beaters for those match coverages, but, man, I don't think these are really complicated beaters, like the burst routes they had to deal with last year, yeah. where it's basically a burst route is a – I call it a, a hesitant slant, where a guy basically runs a, a – he runs a hitch route, but then turns it into a, a deep slant route and continues. Mm-hmm. So it's a double move. You don't have complicated beaters like that right now. We're just dealing with, you know, kind of simple post routes. You know, yeah. Guys just not passing off in coverage. And if you have those simple ones, when you have, I mean, that's why we always talked about like at the beginning of the year when we saw what Quinn was doing and it was like, oh, wait, Quinn's doing stuff other quarterbacks can't do. You're running these routes that are 15, 20 yards downfield. DBs aren't used to that type of stuff. But the stuff that Texas was seeing like this week is going to be standard to what they'll see next week. It's like these guys don't have that insane arm where you can throw off basically what the DBs norms are for those situations. Rod, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, we have, again, we have seen, uh, man, I go back to Tom Herman's last year when Texas, it was kind of a, it was a burst route with Brennan Eagles that they ran right before halftime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was, that was a quarters beater. And we saw actually last year, we saw K-State run that same route with, uh, yep. with, with Warner. Warner ran one yep. of those, I think maybe tied the game was late third, early fourth quarter. Uh, but yeah, like to your point, that's how you know it's a communication issue because it's not like, you know, guys are, are passing off, you know, the wrong guy. And then everybody's kind of looking around like, oh, man, we didn't communicate. It's, man, safeties are just like biting whoever this it's, it's either the safety or the corner. Guys are just biting on the wrong thing. And it's like you're, you're doomed from the start. It's not like mid-play you're screwing up. It's just you have no idea what's going on. And, and that's why guys are just running scot-free. It's 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 communication. And it's like you said, it's it, it's having a plan going into the game, maybe more than anything, rather than communicating on the fly. I'm glad you pointed that out because that, that might be their biggest issue right now. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, because I, I understand. I mean, match coverage is not easy. You're essentially trying to, you know, real time on the fly evolve the coverage as the routes evolve and as the, the play evolves. But I think you can just have kind of clear, concise rules about, all right, guys, if this guy goes this depth, I'm taking him. Um, and so just know if you're reading, because everybody should be reading. If you're the corner, you're reading number two in match coverage or in that zone coverage. And the safety should also be reading two to one. So you're reading one. If you're a corner, you're reading two to one. And if you're the safety, you're probably reading two to one or one to two, potentially, depending on what the coverage is. I would, you know, it's pretty easy depending on what number two does. This depth, he's at 10, 12. He, if his route, if he gets to that depth, safety takes him, corner knows I'm matching. Um, you know, and I think it'd be easier. I don't know if it probably already communicating that, but I think it would make life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so from a coverage standpoint, Rod, is that, is that all you see that probably needs to change at this point? Nothing else. I, yeah, I, I to me, it's, to me, sound, it's, actually. yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know the kind of the, the devolving of, of what we've seen. Like we said, we, we talked about it after the U of H game where there's communication issues. Now it's like, you, you guys need to have a better plan going in. So hopefully by the time the TCU game gets here, they get it figured out. But I, I want to go back to what you said, Rod, earlier, what we were talking about, about the run defense. And man, I, I just, you know, Texas right now, I don't know if you guys have looked at it, but I, I looked at it yesterday when PFF updated all their stuff. They've got the top two rated defensive tackles in the country as, as the tip of the spear right now. And <laughs> I man, I thought it was going to be a long time before you know I saw another duo like Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton, uh, and I'm not saying that these guys are exactly those two guys, but where they are like those guys and Rod, you can we you talked about this, you definitely speak to this. Their personalities are are a lot like those two guys. Whereas with Byron Murphy, uh, he doesn't smile a whole lot, not a whole lot of nonsense with Byron Murphy, and he's in there to just kind of beat people up and be physical with you and, and, and own the line of scrimmage Tavondre sweats, the guy kind of guy that can keep it loose, but it, as big as he is just a freak athlete, but man, when he locks in and, and he's and, and that switch stays on, not a whole lot of guys at that level are better than him. That to me is where just from a personality standpoint, Rod, to me, they're a lot like Sean and Casey were. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I was ready to make that statement too. Like they're the best defensive tackle duo since um obviously they're not even they're not as good as you know casey hampton and sean rogers they're not no. and that there's nothing against them they're fantastic they are the best defensive tackle duo in america in my opinion um but they're just not as good as those guys go back and look at their stats they were just those two were dominant trust me i watched them and you can go study them but honestly i was looking about it i mean malcolm brown was it malcolm brown and his son ridgeway was that yeah the, mm-hmm. yeah was that what Right, that was a group, man. People forget how good that. Go look at those guys' stats. I believe that that was a nasty duo right there. Now they yes. were they aren't as good as this group, I don't think. And they're I don't know. Obviously, they're not as good as Casey Hampton, and Sean Rogers. I don't know if there's ever been a duo that dominant. But man, that's another nasty duo. And you got one guy that was an All American in the first round pick, and the Hassan Ridgeway was what a middle mid round pick somewhere around there. Okay, that dude still playing. Mm-hmm. And he still yep. playing. Yeah, <laughs> still still in the league right now. Um, so yeah, that don't just saying don't forget about them. We we've had some, and that was a really good defense. Was that 2014? Uh 14? Yep. 2014, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So exactly. And look how good that defense was. That was a really good defense. If you're gonna have a really good Texas defense, man, you got at least one of them dudes. Now you got they got two of them. 
Yeah, and Jeff, I thought about you whenever it was during Sark's presser and he brought up Tavondre Sweat. He's like, you know, a sign of a good uh, D-tackle, it's whenever they got high tackle numbers. And I was thinking, Jeff, <laughs> I, got, I could see you almost bursting out and be like, you know that Casey Hampton led the team in tackles here yeah. in Texas back in 2000, like, which is just crazy to think. But I believe it was him and something like D.D. Lewis tied for the team lead with like 81 tackles. Oh, it, was, it, was it was 100. It was triple digits, man. I remember wow. it was like right at 100 tackles or 101. And he had like 20, 20 tackles for loss. <laughs> it's insanity. Guys, he did it twice. <laughs> oh, he man. led the team in tackles two consecutive seasons. As guys. a nose tackle. Yes. That's it. It, yeah, it's good. To, it's, it's amazing to do it one year. He did it two years in a row. <laughs> yeah, I remember I actually uh, tweeted. I think it was Ryan Clark. <laughs> Ryan Clark was at, uh, like on Twitter asking about like who's the most underrated Steeler defenders, and I literally had to put Casey Hampton up there for him because like oh that God. dude just insane when you look across the board at what he's done. And yeah, Jeff, I pulled up those PFF grades like you said, and it is pretty crazy to see the top two D tackles in the country according to PFF overall grade is Sweat one, Murphy two, and then when you look at who's the best interior D lineman from the pass rush perspective is Byron Murphy by far. So you got though. And it, I think sweat was in the top five or top six. So he got him right. Yeah. He's right. He's in sixth right now. So pretty crazy to think that the two top dudes, anybody could grab are the two dudes that Texas has. You think about yeah, they, it. Think they were both first team, all big 12 in 99. They were, they were the two duo, all big 12 first team. D tackles, Sean Rodgers and Casey Hampton. Yeah, and Casey, obviously, 2000, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year in 2000. Um, Two-time first-team All-American, Casey Hampton, too. So Casey was the first defense. You think about this, and granted, Rod, when you got to campus, you guys weren't defending just strictly option teams. You know, there people oh, were throwing no. the football. Yeah. Um, Casey Hampton in 1999 to 2000 became the first defensive lineman in the history of the program to lead the team in tackles back-to-back -back seasons. 101 as a junior, 70, 78 as a senior. And again, as a senior, he's getting like double teamed at least every play, if yes. not triple teamed. Because Sean Rogers, Sean Rogers was hurt a, a decent chunk of that yep. year, 2000. Right. Um, as a nose tackle, he's he's fifth all time in tackles for loss with 54. He had 39 over his last two years. I think I've seen seasons where the Texas defense didn't have 39 tackles for a while. Yeah, I'm telling you, he was unblockable out there. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, listen, Tavondre Sweat is awesome, and so is Byron Murphy. Yeah. I, we just got to be careful about making that comparison. So, they, they might be the best duo since then, but they still aren't close to that duo. Yeah. That's what I said. From a personality standpoint, they, they remind me of those guys. But that's about as about as far as I'm going to go. Not the – like, we forget, yeah. man – People forget Sean Rogers was an all pro. He went to Pro Bowls. Yeah, man. No, he was a freak in the league. As I say, like this, those guys. Large were infant. And his name on Instagram is Large Infant. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's really good. By yeah. the way, um, looking at that uh, 2014 defense, Rod, Malcolm Brown, again, he was a consensus All American that year. Six and a half sacks, 15 TFLs. Hassan Ridgeway had six sacks, 11 TFLs. That 2014 defense was nasty. He had Jordan Hicks and Steve Evans. Jordan Hicks had 147 tackles. Steve Evans had 131. They both had 13 TFLs. It's just that offense moved at the speed of smell and was just so just 
just nad, just ugly to watch, even though it did have NFL talent on it. Um, thank you very much, Sean Watson. It was it just <laughs> drugged down. It, it 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 anchored down. It was the albatross around the neck of that just freaking awesome defense. Yeah. No, you're right about that. That was, I mean, yeah, I forget that. That was a nice road to go down. Great D tackles at Texas. And we didn't even go before the the, the they said two thousands. We we should have gone before that. It takes too long, though. They got too many great ones. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you go start going back to the 80s and then even in the 70s, man. Steve McMichael, Kenny yeah. Sims. Uh, some, some great, some great ass defense and tackles come through this place, man. Yeah. It's yeah. uh, Texas produced a lot of D line, produce a lot of DBs too. And uh, can't always got to shout out DBU on this one. And speaking of DBU, Rod, Michael Taff interception three games in a row, even though he does own an assist to Terrence Brooks. Terrence Brooks should get like half of that interception. Yeah. No, but you know what? Honestly, the yeah, you're right about that. I agree with you on that. I, but I'll say this about Taft, man. It's pretty obvious the coaches trust him. Like, because mm-hmm. and I, I, I thought his snaps would diminish as the season goes on. I haven't checked him directly, so I don't know. Maybe they are. Um, but it doesn't seem like they are. Seems like he's seems like no, he's doing adding. more. Yeah. Exactly. So that shows you a lot. I mean, because they were rotating a lot of safeties. I know they've had more. There's some injuries back there, obviously, with Jalen Catalan, Keaton Crawford recently. But, man, the coaches trust him, man. I ain't going to lie. He shows up. I know how y'all feel about white safeties. Not y'all, Matt and Jeff. But, I mean, right. y'all, Longhorn, some of y'all Longhorn fans, uh, talking bad on my boy Blake Gideon, talking bad on my boy Dylan Haynes. Every time there's a white safety back there, Longhorn fans want to replace, even if they're the best guy for the job. <laughs> so I'm not – Saying it's reverse racism. I'm just saying I'm gonna take up for the white safeties at DBU because all they do is ball out. Trust me, they, you you gotta ball out. I mean, to see yep. the field at DBU. All right, so you gotta ball out. Period. And hell, Blake Gideon, I think, still has the damn record for most games started uh, for any DB in DBU history. And people still now they're still talking about as a safety coach. They want to get over bed, uh, Blake Gideon. <laughs> and don't don't get me started on Dylan Haynes. Long fans hate to hear it. And he like the, I think he's like top top six or seven all time. Yeah, I was you know I was looking at I was looking at his his interception numbers of the day. I'm like, damn, Dylan Haynes, I forgot. Bro, that. he's balling. He's like yeah. I think I want to say any like top six or seven all time. Yeah, because I want to say uh, before I look it up, I want to say he's at like eleven picks or thirteen picks, something Bro. like that. Yeah, and local fans do nothing but trash. But except, I think you know, like I said, I, the comedy nominators. The white safety, and they've been saying the same thing about Taft. I've been hearing y'all. I'll be Taft Daddy out there wreck, wrecking shop and representing. So until y'all can uh, out-recruit him, basically, and upgrade the position, hey, and that's fair because that's the, that's the game, then don't complain because he's obviously one of the best guys for the job. Otherwise, he wouldn't be out there. Check this and out, he was Rod. One Dylan, of the guys. Dylan Haynes. Dylan Haynes, Rod, 13 interceptions. No. Uh, he is tied for fifth in the history of the program. Bro. With Time interceptions, Come on and he is second in school history with 238 career interception return yards. Man, come on now! I think Chris <laughs> Carter has that record. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, you can say what you want. Dudes out there balling out. So, my my shout out to my white safeties out there, man. I got y'all back. I got <laughs> and there was back. a number that I remember bringing up in the off season. That was something that is always things like this sort of stand out whenever you start trying to replace players. And I remember looking, be like, you know, Deshaun Jameson was one of the few guys that was really good in man end zone, and you knew that you had Jade Barron who was elite. So, like, I remember graphing out which players on the team were the players that had 
NFL passer ratings against them that were under 100 in both man and in zone. And there were four names on the team last year. One of them was Jamison, which you lost. You were retaining three of them. It was Barron, Jaron Thompson, and then Michael Taff was the other one. It was actually a man coverage and only 28 man coverage snaps last season. He didn't allow anything. It was a zero. And then in zone, it was 70% of his plays were in zone and it was in the mid nineties. So like he wasn't great, but he also wasn't bad. And that's sort of something that when you're trying to fill out the roster, having guys that just don't crater your roster are really big to coaches because you can just count on them to go out there and do what they need to get done without the other team getting those big splash plays against him. And he surprisingly, according to just the numbers and coverage, was like the third best in all scenarios. Hey, Rod, you want another freaky stat? Uh, I'm just looking at top five in school history in career return yards. Chris Carter, one. Dylan Haynes, two. You want to guess who's number three? Interception return yards. Who was that? Derek Johnson. (laughs) Wow, are you serious? Yeah, that's awesome. With 195, yep. That is that's how athletic that dude is, man. Under even when he gets the ball in his hands, he was still balling. That's crazy. I'd never, I would have never guessed that. Honestly, like 20 tries, I'd have never guessed that. Um, by the way, if you look at the school record books, tied for second with Greg Brown and Holton Hill for the most interceptions returned for a touchdown in in a career. Rod Babers, ladies and gentlemen, still tied hey. in the two spot. Hey. Still showing up, baby. I like that. That's just uh, still showing up on them record books, baby. The, the like only person, the only person you're looking up at, Rod, is Michael Huff with four. Ain't no shame in that. Ain't no mm-hmm. shame in that. <laughs> that's ain't a, no shame in that at all. That's a that's a first rounder right there. Hey, that's what I'm saying. Ain't no shame. That's what that guy's that guy's on the Mount Rushmore DBU man. Ain't no shame in that. So before that we, yeah, before we get into the the nuts and bolts of the offense, can I? You guys can pick this apart too, uh, but I wrote about this in my uh, report card piece at Horns twenty four seven. That's a free story, by the way. You don't even need to be a paid member. You can just go over there and get my report card piece. Nice. Um, can I defend Sark here, like I defended him on the fourth down decision and the play call uh, when they went for it in the Savion Red fumble deal? Okay, yeah, makes sense. If you look at when that happened, because in the moment everybody's like, "Oh, Sark, take the points, take the points, take the points." I'm like, "Well, no, go for I'm- it." I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, it's neither fish nor foul for me. Okay. But if you look at that, there's about three and a half minutes left. You're getting, you're getting down to like the last three and a half minutes of the half. And it's 17, nothing at that point. If you, if you go for it, you move the sticks, you've got a chance to burn off. If not all, most of the clock right there. And whether you put it in the end zone or you get a field goal, you're up either 20 to nothing or 24 nothing. And for all intents and purposes, the game might be over there. Plus, you eliminate K-State's opportunity. They're not going to, if they do get a two-for-one, if they do get a possession, they're really not going to have enough time to do anything with it at the end of the half. So you pretty much either eliminate or severely hamstring their ability to get the two-for-one. And the play call, I don't really mind it because if – if Savion Red and C.J. Baxter just don't kind of rub up against each other and the ball ends up on the ground, Jatavian Sanders is open. That play would have worked. So I I not only understand probably what Sark was thinking there, but based on the way I laid it out, I agree with it. I didn't have a problem with the play call because I typically I'm, – I'm guilty of I like the decision. I didn't like the play call. 
I liked it all there. It just just one of them deals, man, just didn't work. Um, I yeah, I agree with you. You know, usually you can just say if it didn't work, then it was a bad call, right? If it did work, then it was a great call. Yeah. I I agree with what you're saying because I, I think Sark was trying to put the foot on the throat. He wanted to put the nail in the coffin. And this was right. This is the so you're talking about the red cat failure. That was right mm-hmm. after the interception, the drive right after the interception. And think about it, on that drive, guys. I believe that would have that that attempt by Savion Red would have been the only pass on the drive. They went down the whole field. I'm gonna say just run the damn football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're uh, right. I'm looking at the play log. It was right? it went down running because I remember this because this is where the criticism comes of Sark a little bit. So they went down running the football after interception. Your young quarterback is shaking up a little bit. Totally understandable. Let's run the rock. Let's get the quarterback. You know, let's get the offense back into a groove and it will get the quarterback back into a rhythm. But right now, let's lean on what we know is consistent and what we know is, you know, right now the the safest route, which is running the football. Um, And they did that all the way down the field. And then I'm with you. I don't disagree with the Red Cat. I don't disagree with him going for it. Longhorn fans are upset about it. But like I said, that's in Sark's nature by now. Now, he's not changed. He's been like that since he came here. Yeah. So yeah. that's 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 just the way he operates, right? This is the scorpion and the frog. For those who haven't know the fable, uh, scorpion and the frog sitting by the side of the river. Uh, scorpion asks the frog, "Hey man, would you take me across this river?" Frog says to the scorpion, "No nah, man, you're a scorpion. If I take you across the river, you're gonna sting me." And he's like, "No man, why would I sting you? If I sting you, the scorpion said, you know, we're both gonna die. That'd be stupid." And then the frog says, yeah, actually, you made a good point. Takes him across, puts him on his back, takes him across the river. In the middle of the river, Scorpion stings him. They both start to sink. Frog says, why the hell would you do that, man? Now we're both going to die. Scorpion says, it's in my nature. That's just who I am. <laughs> That's Sark. Sark is a scorpion. It's just in his nature. Just like accept that. it at this point, guys. That is just who he is. Right? <laughs> so he's going to go for it on fourth down. He's going to be aggressive. That's part of the reason you love him. That's a part of makes him such a great offensive mind. But you take the get the good with the bad. So I got no problem with that. So I'm with, I'm with you, Jeff. My problem yeah. comes here. The next drive after the Savion yes. Red meltdown is the next drive. They go and you know what? And I I really I understand it because it was bump and run coverage, which might have been an automatic check by them. All right. So in case they went bump and run coverage on X Man, might be an automatic check. They went to the deep ball there. I don't know if it's a check or already a, the play call. They go to the – it seems like it was a check because if K-State goes bump and run coverage on X-Men, oh, go with God. Let's take that. They'll take that on anybody in the country. They'll take it on Alabama. They'll take it on yeah. LSU. They'll take it on anybody. All right, Ohio State, they'll take that matchup. So they definitely don't take it on K-State. So it might have been an automatic check. They throw it. should have been a flag of P.I. It was not. Yeah. Um, ends up being an incomplete pass. And then on that drive, remember the previous drive, you go all the way down the field, get into – you get on the goal line. You get to the two-yard line, running the football, four straight plays. On this drive – in my nature, Sark goes pass, pass, pass. And it was an incompletion, a pass for a completion for no gain to Jay Witt, mm-hmm. and an incompletion. And then you get the punt block. Yep. And that to me, considering how you just moved the ball running the football, and you were averaging over seven yards per rush to go three straight passes like that. And I get it because going deep is how you got the lead. But I think there are times where Sark is an offensive coordinator. And he's thinking almost like a quarterback and an offensive coordinator where he wants to be aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. And he wants to get his quarterback 
back into a rhythm, right? He's thinking about his young quarterback. And, man, my young quarterback, the last play that he threw the football was an interception. I got to get his confidence up. If I was playing quarterback, because he lives vicariously through these guys, helps him recruit, helps relate to him, helps him call plays. But I think it hurts him in situations like this. He's thinking, by the way, look at the time, look at the time, look at the time. Texas gets the ball back with how much time left? Two and a half minutes left in this in the first half. We know what? Your defense is really bad in what? Two-minute defense. Mm-hmm. We know you're averaging over seven yards per rush. We also know you got a quarterback who's a little insecure because he just threw an interception. Um, all those things are adding up to, you know what? Instead of being aggressive, why don't I just manage the game, all right? Instead of, you know, taking so many risks, why don't I just manage this game for the end of this half keep the ball, go get points on the board. Instead, he's uber aggressive, throws the ball deep, throws the ball, throws the ball. You got your three and out. Then you get your punt blocked. That's when they get the momentum in a short field. And the to me, it, it, I think Sark should have been managing the game and managing risk better there. And he wasn't. He was thinking like a coordinator and a play caller instead of a head coach. And that's where you need to go from being, you know, taking the kill shot like an OC would to managing the game. And I don't think he did that very well in that moment. Yeah. That's where like maybe the previous possession bled over into the next one. Cause yeah, I agree with both of y'all. It never even entered my thought or uh, mind that it was a bad idea. It's, I mean, you're fourth and two with red, that red package has been money. And then you're in short yardage. Like Rod said, you had ran the ball consecutively on four plays in a row for 39 yards. Prior to that Sanders looked open. And in that scenario in short, and you're trying to go not only up another score, but it gets you through another touchdown. You go from 17 to 24, a field goal there, you're still within three touchdowns the opponent is. If you kick a field goal, three touchdowns gives them the lead the same way it would with 17 or 20. So actually scoring there even adds more value going for it on fourth down. But then when you get to that next possession, and I just had the game on coincidentally in the background when you're talking about it, and I love how Fox went to the field view because you can see Malik Murphy's eyes before he's assessing the defense before the throw to X-Men. And he looks, gives X a long look, then looks back over, and then he looks back at X, like almost like confirming that I got that press man. And then they run the play action to the left and then off the play action, you see the safety bites immediately takes the run. So not only do you have that press man, which X-Men beats, but that safety is immediately biting off of that play action away from the play. So he knows that there's no safety help on the one-on-one. He just sort of barely underthrew the ball where it could have been interference. But if he puts a little bit more air on that, it's a touchdown, but it's probably where that play call was sort of bled over from them not getting points a previous one, which doesn't necessarily uh, coexist very well with what you did. Your previous possession was exactly four minute football to end the half. You got it back with six minutes. If you get the first down with red, you're probably able to drain another minute or two off the clock, but you get nothing out of it and you're starting in plus territory. And then you get the look you want and off the action, and the quarterback sees it. So it didn't work out perfectly for Texas there, but I also understand the reasoning behind doing it. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. I man, I thought I had written that somewhere uh in my post-game commentary, but I guess I must have just thought it and not written it. So my bad on that. But Rod, I I was more upset with the drive you mentioned rather than the going forward on fourth down, because at that point, okay, you kind of 
you kind of dodged the bullet. You kind of get in a mulligan there. Now you can, you know, take some of the air out of the ball, burn some clock, at least make them use their timeouts. Exactly. Uh, and, and you didn't, you didn't do that at all. Um, <laughs> you know, where I am with Sark and, and the fourth down stuff and, and, so trust me, sitting in the press box, I hear it from all sides. It's like, oh, just take the points, take the points. It's the same reason why I tell people why when I'm covering baseball, why I don't hammer David Pierce about base running mistakes, because I know he's going to be aggressive. I know they're going to try to double steal. I know they're going to try to hit and run. It's like, what good does it do to bitch about it? I know he's going to do it. So just try to say, okay, I think he was doing it because understand like who your coach is. There's just certain things certain coaches do. You don't like it. That's just, you know, it is what it is at that point. Some coaches are, are ultra conservative. It's like, Hey man, you had some timeouts. No, their nature is they want to kneel it. They just want to get the halftime, whatever the case is. So man, you just got to learn, like you said, right. You just got to learn kind of what kind of person you're dealing with. And with Sark, man, when push comes to shove, he, he wants to go for it, man. He and and it's, it's kind of the it's why it's the ultimate damned if you do damned if you don't decision because you know and i've done it too we've gotten on to sark about and i say we i mean me gotten on to sark about man this team needs to learn how to put people away need need to learn how to you know have that killer instinct well when he does it it's just (laughs) either either the call's not right for the situation or it's just not executed very well so i like the fact that he's trying to teach his team here's what here's what you do here's how you have that killer instinct here's how when you know you got your foot on their throat don't let it up you know keep it mashed down and squeeze and and choke them out it just there's been a lot of situations especially in the half where it just doesn't work yep agreed yeah you're right about that i i I like i said i like that i like the mentality now i don't know i I may have been uneasy about it before but now that i know that's kind of a part of his dna i got no problem with it i got no problem with it at all and I also, just as a numbers nerd, it makes total sense with the math. It makes sense with the football, especially if you're a better team. It's just fourth down for the uh, existence of time is going to be polarizing. And if people are bought in, they're bought in. If they aren't, they aren't. And I don't see many people budging. And it's always going to come up, and it's going to be the same conversation most of the time. And it's like it's. I'll go back to baseball, man. It's just like stolen bases in baseball, man. If if you steal a base, it's great. You're being aggressive. You know, you're trying to put runners in scoring position. If a guy gets thrown out, you're an idiot and a bum. And why would you, you know, get your runner thrown out when you're? It's, 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 you know, it's it, it's it's just one of those yeah. deals. But um, I, what I like the most, we talk about the defensive line, and, and this is what I hope. We know the defensive line is going to be good. It's going to be. It's impossible to run on Texas. Nobody, like you said, Rod, other than Wyoming for one play, and other than mm-hmm. Alabama for about a quarter, nobody's been yeah. able to just line up and run at Texas. Nope. What I feel confident that's going to carry over to the TCU game. What I hope carries over is. This might have been the most dynamic, diverse run game we've seen from Texas this year, right? Like it wasn't just inside zoning somebody to death. They used pre-snap shifts in motion. Uh, go back and look at that Jonathan Brooks touchdown run, man. They, they, they've got guys on the move. Yeah, they're pulling guys, but it's it's different stuff than we've seen before. Uh, I, I just like kind of some of the pre-snap stuff Sark was doing in the run game just to change things up a little bit. And what it boiled down to, man, if – if you don't show me the turnovers and you just show me, hey, based on you know what we know about the history of this series, if you say, hey, man, Texas is going to outrush K-State 230 to 33, I say, oh, dude, they probably won by 40. Exactly. And I, yep. so I, especially with Cam Williams making his first start, no Christian Jones, 
We know Jake Majors has been fighting through an ankle injury. Hayden Connor's been beat up. You know, Kelvin Banks had to lead the game, especially with your offensive lines not in top form. That was – it might have been the best game the O-line played all year, and it was definitely the best game they played since Kansas. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the things that Lohan fans wanted to see more of, right? I, I think you could have run the football and – totally completely control the line of scrimmage the entire game against K-State and mm-hmm. um I think you did pretty much but uh still allowed them to get back into the game with some short fields but I'm with you I think the best kind of the best storyline coming out of the K-State game is you did win that game with a backup quarterback with a I'm say a ton of injuries but a lot of injuries right on 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 defense especially with guys like Jalen Catalan and Keaton Crawford being out Hell, man, Ethan Burke was coming off of, you know, meniscus surgery, and we didn't know if he, he was going to play, and he ended up playing yeah. really, really well. And, you know, you had Christian Jones out, like you mentioned. Man, when Texas actually gets healthy, which Sark said everybody practiced, which is, uh, yeah. I don't know, maybe one of the first times that's been the case, you know, since, like, early season, like the early couple of weeks of the season. If everybody's practicing, it means everybody's on track to play, not in this game, but at one point in the next couple of weeks. Um, which means they're going to have their full complement of players. And, man, this team hadn't really played to their full potential yet. Mm-mm. Maybe the Bama game was as close as they came, but that's the real kind of scary part for everybody else is that this team is totally healthy and locked in. There's so many parts of this team where they are underachieving, right, or they're underperforming. Red zone, obviously, offense is the biggest one. I do feel like that's just who they are as well. This is a bad red zone team. And they do seem to be cursed when they get down there for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, two-minute defense, once again, right? Reared its ugly head. K-State hurt Texas in two-minute defense. Once again, they being able to move the football down the field in that regard. Um, so there are still some key areas where the team is underperforming. And they're look at the Rangers. Like, they were kind of prime example winning the World Series. You know, during the season, if you're following the Rangers, Rangers fans know there are times where they were underperforming in a lot of areas. And then they had their breakthrough at the right time. The hope is that Texas does have a breakthrough in those areas like red zone and their two-minute defense when all their full complement of players is healthy and then they schematically figured something out, schematically, tactically, strategically, and then a holy Chicago. Imagine this Texas team with a with a average to above-average red zone offense and a two-minute defense that isn't a sieve. And you may be talking about a team that could, that could beat anybody in the country. Yeah, 100%. If Texas could just be able to – I mean, being healthy in November is just going to put you ahead of most teams in the country. And then if you can fix those areas that basically are two of the more valuable areas that you can have, goal line or red zone basically is, but two-minute offense is where a lot of teams make up a ton of ground. And if you can find a way to tighten that up and be able to not let teams – it'll just you know hold them to field goals, not let them get all the way down into the end zone, it really would – take off a couple possessions that you have to worry about every game you know it's uh it's interesting when you look at this team and you think about the fact that they haven't played that complete game yet and it it, it kind of excites me having followed the program for as long as i have and especially looking at this you know kind of the lost decade that we talk about with the with the teens it's interesting rod that you start with k-state and as texas leaves the beat the big 12 you're going to have to go through some of those, some old nemesis. You're going to have to peel those, you know, you have to pick that scab one more time and you're going to have to, to get to where you want to be to get to Arlington. You're going to have to beat Kansas state. You're going to have to go to Fort Worth and beat TCU. Who's dominated you in, 
and I know that doesn't pertain too much to this team, but I mean, I think you oh, guys yeah. get where I'm going. You know, yeah. Texas Texas Tech has spoiled uh, more than one season. Rod Rod Texas Tech well, kept you from going to a, yes. a another Big Twelve championship game. From a BCS uh, game, yeah. yeah, and and you know, obviously, you know, we know about 08, and then last year that loss out in Lubbock ended up costing Texas Texas a trip to the Big Twelve championship game, and you're gonna have to beat Tech, and then man. It, just when you thought you were done with the mullet and when we had all been oh. shoveling dirt on Mike Gundy, <laughs> you may get to Arlington and have to beat that dude to break through and get a conference championship. So, oh, he'll be standing yeah. out there with two middle fingers looking straight at Texas. Seriously. Yeah, that guy's scary. That's scary. I'm agreeing with you on that. So it's it's just interesting to me. But the, the, the good thing for Texas is, like you said, Rod, if they can get healthy – Oh, and by the way, you've got to go to Ames, too, which has been a freaking house of horrors lately. You've lost three of the last four times. Matt, you and I were there together for one of those, that Halloween shutout. That Oh, that was about as torturous of a football game as I've ever seen. I still wake up in cold sweats thinking about that game, but and I didn't even have a dog in the fight that night. But at any rate, man, it, it, it's just crazy to think about. This team hasn't, like you said, Rod, they haven't really played that that a game all the way around yet that that they feel like they know they can play. And man, if you can do it uh, with this run of teams that you're playing specifically with these opponents, man, you've got a chance to make this fan base feel really, really good on the way out of the big 12. If you can get one over on TCU and get one over on Matt Campbell and get one over on Texas tech in a game, Brett, your Merck is going to be at by the way. And man, if you got to go beat Mike Gundy to win a conference championship, maybe you can, you know, finally Get that, you know, get that monkey off your back by beating Oklahoma State. So, by, which, by the way, is the only Big 12 team Sark has not beaten of the ones that they played. Uh, Sark's beaten everybody else in the Big 12, 12 of the 14. He hadn't played two of them, but except for Oklahoma State. So, it, it's just, I, I just like the way this end is shaping up, man. I, I really do. I think it's it's got a chance to be as fascinating a November as we've seen around here. You know, in, in, it's been too long since we've seen the yeah. November around here be this fascinating. Yeah, you get to exercise those demons, right? It's good. It's cathartic for us. It's going to be therapeutic for the, the program. I agree with you. No no doubt. By the way, do you guys want to give me props since I got out of going to Ames? I don't have to go to Ames this year. That's Ooh, a good God one. Bless you. God bless you. Brother. <laughs> yeah, God man. Bless. Not the not the worst trip in the Big 12, but it's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the worst West Virginia? Oh no, Manhattan, Manhattan, without question. West Virginia, Manhattan is worse than West Virginia. You know what, Rod? I want to admit something on this show right now. Um, I will do the West Virginia trip six days of the week and twice on Sunday before I go back to Manhattan again. Damn, is that bad? The Manhattan Drive is soul crushing because there's nothing there. At least, at least on the way to West Virginia, you know, it's an hour from Pittsburgh, but at least half of that. You're still kind of like Pittsburgh metro area. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. This, I, I never thought about the drive, but you're right. And honestly, yeah, man, I, the, the scenery's nice. You got the mountains and you know, some some rivers and whatnot. It's uh, it's, it's it's not bad scenery out in West Virginia either. Okay, mountain mamas. You might you might see a guy on the side of the road trying to sell you moonshine, but hey, you know that's. It's part of the culture when it went in Rome, I guess. Right. Um, one more thing I want to mention before we, we nailed out some things on TCU. Uh, my fascination with the third down package continues, man, because Texas was awesome on third down. You guys realize Texas has the second best defense in the country on third down. Yeah, they're, they're good. Do they, they're good in all the crucial areas, third down and red zone. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. They're great in third zone. They're great in red, elite, actually, in third down and red zone. Yeah, because red zone, I think they're number eight or 13, yeah. 12, somewhere in there. The top yeah, 15 really for sure. Yeah. Um, and on the uh, advanced metrics, on third and fourth down success via stats of war, Parker Fleming, he has Texas at seventh in the country at just 17.5%. And then the points per echo, which is quality possession inside opponent territory, that's seventh in the country. So – both of them very elite. I take that back, Rod. Texas tied for second in the country with Duke in red zone defense. So there you Duke go. Um, TCU, gentlemen, this is a TCU team that this is not the TCU team we saw last year led by Max Duggan uh, that ended up getting to the CFP uh, and, and had an undefeated regular season. Uh, they, they've struggled a little bit, uh, really struggled mightily on the road, uh, but they're at home. They're in Fort Worth. Uh Guys, what, what Rod? I'll start with you. What are you, what are you expecting? What are you, what are you looking at? What's top of mind for you as you start thinking about this TCU game? Uh, yeah, I wonder the health of uh, Chandler Morris, right? Because I've heard, I don't know, maybe he's he might be able to be available. I don't know if he's going to start, but be available this uh, this game. I do think Hoover, the young quarterback, he's a is he a freshman? I believe. That's out there uh, slanging it. He's this system that he's playing in is a system that he's comfortable with. Apparently, it's a system that very similar to the system that he ran in high school. So mm-hmm. he's been in this system for a while. One thing that does worry me: number one, they're running the veer and shoot, which is the same scheme that Jeff Levy runs at Oklahoma. And I don't know this for a fact, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's true just because. And I don't know it for a fact, but it just makes too much sense that Kendall Browse son of Art Browse uh, <laughs> and Jeff Levy, who is the son-in-law of Art Browse, are sharing notes mm-hmm. on the oh, yes. game plan. I don't know it for a fact, but it just makes too much damn sense, right? That's a family affair. Beating Texas is a family affair in the Browse family, right? Yeah, yeah it was like family. the Riley family last year when you had <laughs> little brother Riley with TCU and getting notes from brother Lincoln. Exactly. So I, I, I can guarantee you that 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 is happening or it all has already happened. Um, and so that that, you know, they're not concerned about it, but just something to keep in mind. Sonny Dykes, for whatever reason, he's undefeated versus Texas. Whether you go yeah. back to his Cal days, TCU, he has success versus Texas. Like I said, Kendall Browse has an obsession with Texas. Hey, I played with Kendall Browse. OK, guys. Mm-hmm. All right. He, his story is like a, a, a comic book uh, villain origin story. He started out at Texas as a DB, uh, and everywhere he's gone, he's kind of, <laughs> you know, been a a scourge uh, toward Texas because of the way he was treated, didn't like it, and all that kind of stuff. And that goes way, way back. Uh, so yeah, he's. I guarantee you, he's got a special one um, planned for Texas. We know that TCU season has not gone as planned, so this is their. This is could be the savior game for them, right? It could save their season and ruin Texas season at the same time. That makes it a trap game for Texas. And they're a pass-first team, and pass-first teams, look at U of H, man. Texas was like a 20-point favorite over U of H. Um, you know, you can argue TCU is a better team than U of H. I don't know which mm-hmm. one you want to say is better. But if, TC- yeah. if U of H can take Texas down to the wire, um, there's no reason TCU couldn't do the same thing. And I know TCU is not a good team, um, but I don't know if you classify U of H as a good team either. 
So, yeah, no, I agree with you fully there. And we had talked about, you know, U of H at the time, you know, that they, they didn't have that great of a defense and why that they were a threat still because of Holgerson. And then TCU just systemically on offense is always going to be a threat. But like, even if you look at some of the metrics, like even though TCU has five losses, they're by far the best five loss team in the country, according to, to Bill Conley, he still has them as 29th overall in the country. He has them 29th on offense, uh, top 40 defensively. And if you compare that just to find other teams with similar profiles, the two closest I could find were SMU and Florida are both mm-hmm. teams that have, you know, offenses there around the top 30 and defenses around, say, the top 40 or 45, those two teams sort of fit in right there with where TCU is overall. But I know that, like, looking at it last week, I really loved how Sark attacked Parrish, and it was a guy that I said coming into the week, he was like their one weakness in man coverage, and he was a guy that Texas needs to go after, and Texas went after him like hell. It ended up being, I believe, 12 targets, seven receptions for 138 yards and a TD. By far the most successful against him. Nobody else uh, gave up more than four receptions on the team. And like this week against TCU, it's sort of clear, like you don't throw to Newton. Newton is one of the best DBs in the country. He was last year and this year. And man, it's an NFL quarterback rating of 21 in zone. It's a 61. He's elite in both. But Helm and Clark are both guys in man coverage that have been beat now in zone. Helm, it's a 68 NFL passer rating against them. Clark, it's a 42. They're both really good within the framework of the defense in zone. But if you can get them in man, like Parrish was last week, Parrish was the only guy that you could see giving up like over a 90 NFL passer rating against the other two guys were really good. But Helm and Clark, it's a 106 NFL passer rating against him and man. And Clark is at 89. So you're going to see one of them outside and another one in the slot. And hopefully you can take advantage of it because those are the guys that have been targeted the most for the opponents of TCU and they've been really successful doing so. So when you're facing a pretty sound defense and they have somebody elite, don't help them out by challenging the elite guy. You just need to go where the it's the least resistance of force and just go to their weakness. Rod, do you think there's any chance that uh, talking about your comic book villain origin, you think there's any chance that the first time Mac looked across the sideline and saw Kendall Bryles over there, that he kind of looked at it like, uh, like Obi-Wan looked at Anakin in Star Wars, like, you were the chosen one. Hey, we've been talking about white safeties. Texas fans don't like them white hey. safeties. Though. Oh, yes. that is a great, great, great job, Matt. Way to bring it full circle, brother. You're and, right. And what is it, what is it about white safety? as a white safety. What is yep, it about? Yep, yep. By the way, for those of you who don't know, you might be new listeners. Uh, the reason why we we get on this and why Rod is trying to uh, save the white DB, when the Giants drafted Rod, they not only drafted him to be part of the answer for replacing Jason Seahorn, they gave him Jason Seahorn's number. So Rod Babers oh, yeah. effectively killed the white cornerback. So Rod's trying to do his best to, to bring it back at this point. And yeah, they were different if, until two years ago. Exactly. And it'd be different if it was a success story, but we all know how Rod B's professional career worked out. So uh, that probably wasn't even worth it to kill the last white rhino like that. <laughs> But that's what they did. We're bringing it hey, back, baby. We're bringing it hey, back. Hey, hey, the 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 common bond there, Rod, is Ernie Acorsi drafted you, and Ernie Acorsi uh, gave Jimmy Johnson the uh, roadmap to make the Herschel Walker trade that got the Cowboys back to prominence. So 
I just hey. I'll, I'll always be thankful to Ernie Acorsi for multiple reasons. Degrees of separation. Exactly. <laughs> How do you separate Rod B from Herschel Walker? I just gave it to you, right? Now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, man, uh, guys, we got to shut it down. But man, that's uh, Matt. You just laid it out all right there. And look, uh, I keep saying it, man. Unless and last week proved it. Unless Texas just starts kicking the ball around, turning it over, uh, this team's really good. And they got something going, and I, I like them to keep winning, man. I I know TCU's TCU's not a terrible team, but they said this isn't the same TCU team we saw last year. So uh, Texas ten point road favorites. Yes, yeah, exactly. But they, I think they, what were they were against U of H? That was on the road too, right? Twenty. Yep, and they were. Yeah, I think they got up like around three 20. and a half. I think. Exactly. Yeah, by the end of so, it. Just I'm just saying, don't we can't get too cocky and arrogant. But the thing is, it's all about quarterback for Texas. We don't know Quinn's status. Quinn is day to day now, you know. So if Quinn plays great, if he doesn't, it's Malik. The hope is that Malik takes a step from his second start to his third start, and that step needs to be ball security. And if he's not more careful with the football, and he's more, you know, continuing to turn the football over at a you know a really high rate. Uh, then, yeah, I mean, sorry, that can make the game way closer than it needs to be, as it did the K-State game, and also could lead to Sark maybe rushing the timetable to get Quinn out there. But who knows? If Quinn's healthy, Quinn's out there, it doesn't matter. But yeah. if Malik's out there, we, have, we definitely need to see growth that can make this game way too close. Can, can we, before we, I know we got to run, but before we get out of here, can we, can I just say this, and you guys feel free to chime in, people, stop taking the clickbait on all the Arch Manning stuff. Like, it's, it's people that don't follow the program that don't know the program. It's like when you, when you can't eat, when you don't even, the, if the wet name of the website doesn't sound familiar, you got a better chance of getting ball sacked than you do unearthing <laughs> like some gem that you're going to find. So just don't pay attention to the smoke that's out there with arch. The Manning family knew what they were getting into when they signed up for this deal. So just stop worrying about arch and, you know, oh, so, I mean, I, I don't even know what's going on. Are you talking about rumors about transferring oh, or no, playing? Okay, playing okay, and then the transfer oh, gotcha. stuff. And yeah, I, I could at least understand the, the playing last week since Malik missed practice. And me as a daily fantasy guy, it's always worth tracking who's practicing. So I get that, but I didn't know if there was more people worrying about transfer porter, blah blah blah. So, well, good, like, to, good to let us know. You know, somebody mentioned, you know, hey, why after K-State tied the game, why didn't Sark put Arch in the game? I'm like, if he's not going to put him in the game with a lead, yeah. why the hell yeah. would you do it in a tight game? You're going this the first snaps he's going to take is like, hey, Arch, go save the day. That's <laughs> that's the answer. No, no, Man, that's not right by the kid. No, agreed. And Sark, like I said, Sark, we got to remember Sark is a quarterback, guys. So he he coaches vicariously through them. That's why he's so good at recruiting them. That's why he's so good at developing them. Um, and part of his play calling is quarterback centric. That's why no matter what the situation, guys, he still was. I think they opened up the game with thirteen passes and eight runs. Yeah. And when they finished the first half, it was more passes than runs, even though you were averaging over seven yards per rush. So yeah. Sark gonna throw the ball. He's gonna throw to open up the run because he calls plays vicariously. You know calling plays through the quarterback position, almost living through the quarterback, which is why when his quarterback struggles, he's going to call some pass plays so his quarterback can get back on track and get into a rhythm. He's rarely going to abandon that quarterback, which is why I don't think he did bench Hudson Carr. Remember, Hudson Carr wasn't his QB. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to stick with Malik through the growing pains. I know people don't really like that, 
but I don't think he's entertaining Arch because he's thinking to himself, what would I want if I was the quarterback? Would I want to be benched? And I think that's kind of how he approaches the the mindset, which I said it works out for him sometimes. May work, maybe it works against him, but that's why I think he hasn't really seriously considered the Arch option. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but even that first year, when he did, he didn't bench Hudson in game. He waited and just made the change the following week against Rice after the Arkansas game, and even oh, yeah, in the right. in the Iowa State game, he did it, and the West Virginia game, he did it. It was because Casey's thumb just got so bad. It's like, dude, you just my quarterback can't grip the football right now, so I, I got to put somebody in there that can actually throw a forward pass. So exactly. it's you know it's that again. Understand who your coach is. It's not right. in Sark's nature to be to have a knee-jerk reaction in game with the quarterback it's just not nope nope i totally agree i don't even know before this if we studied if he ever had that you know habit i just think he's a guy that settles on his guy and he thinks like hey man my quarterback's gonna battle through i recruit these quarterbacks to battle through these growing pains i recruit a certain mindset and personality to deal with these inevitable growing pains well and we build him up all week through practice like we gotta remember Fans see only a, like a seventh. We're seeing on play the just the game day. It's like the coaches, fans need to remember they've seen it all week and have schemed stuff and have reasons why that they're going out there. They aren't going to then abandon this massive game plan and what they've seen. And they're playing the guy because it's a meritocracy and they probably perform better too to that point or can grasp more to that point. So then putting the inexperienced guy in there and thinking he can be more successful is just a little bit illogical. Stark, he can go back to his time at Washington. You can go back to his time at, at, as the head coach at SC, as a coordinator at SC. Hell, even in Alabama, when he made the Mac Jones, he and Nick Saban made the Mac Jones, Bryce Young decision. It's not like they played musical chairs. Mac Jones is our guy. We're going to go with him. And they went with Mac Jones and won a national championship. So mm-hmm. it's not just understand who your coach is, understand his tendencies, and you'll probably save yourself a really big headache when you're trying to digest the game while it's happening. Agreed. All right. Gentlemen, we got to uh, we got to wind it down. That's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports, the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, and the Horns 24-7 Podcast Feed, where you get this show each and every Wednesday when it drops. Just search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, slashes, or spaces in your favorite podcast app. Hit that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Wednesday. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.